The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Buddies and travelers down Thunder Road. It is us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that no one asked for, but we did anyway. Over here at the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, I am your host, your raconteur upon Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my faithful co-host, that is Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? I am in tip-top form this week, Dave. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm good. I think we've both had, uh, in entirely different ways, belters of weekends. <laughs> well, I know you had a great weekend, but do you remember it? Yeah, yeah. I, d- I went on a, a stag or bachelor party weekend, depending on what side of the Atlantic you're from, uh, in Galway on the west coast of Ireland. And it was a great time, but I kind of, I drink in much more moderation than I used to in my youth. Um, so I was fine. Uh, I actually spent all weekend trying to find um, like one of the bars we went to that did like a decent whiskey sour or um, old fashioned, which would be like the only two kind of cocktaily sort of mm. things that I would enjoy. And um, not really so much. We either went to old man pubs that would uh, look at you if you tried to dilute <laughs> whiskey with anything. Or um, we went to places that the only kind of cocktails they do would be the super sugary, fancy ones that you drink with a couple of straws and maybe some some uh, luminous colors. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So the the uh, the the hunt for a good old fashioned or or whiskey sour did not pan out for me, but uh, a good weekend was had by all. Um, I, I like the little callback of once again you drinking whiskey, despite giving me shit. Yeah, yeah, this, this is my gimmick <laughs> now at this point. Um, but yeah, no, it was a good weekend. I, I did a thing that I, I don't think I've ever done. Well, I don't think I've ever been able to say in my life before, Lee. I befriended a poet. What? <laughs> yeah, so like Galway City is this, as well as being a great place to go for uh, a stag bachelor party situation. Uh, there's also a lot of performance art going on all the time and crafts and, and things like that. So we were kind of wandering around on the Saturday and went to go into a craft fair. And there was a man on the corner of a street by the craft fair who was reading out poetry. But it seemed to be like the same poem he was reading out just repeatedly. And he was less reading it out as much as he was fucking roaring it. 
this guy sounds like Peter Griffin. I'm not gonna look. I yeah, we well, like this is it was it was an odd situation. We were kind of stood there baffled as to like he's definitely doing the same poem again, isn't he? And waiting until he started again. And go, yeah, that is definitely the same poem. Either that, or it was one incredibly long poem that lasted kind of the ten minutes we were standing there the whole time we were in the craft fair that it was still going on by the time we got back because we were recognizing stanzas from before. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of curious and as we were walking past um he had like a whiteboard with his twitter handle on it um so we were kind of wondering he looked like he was there representing a charity or something like that so i went to give him an old cheeky follow on twitter and uh i thought nothing more of it because i went on and it was kind of inconclusive he didn't really say he was he wasn't really plugging his spoken word poetry in galway city center he wasn't um like talking much about poems he had links to presumably his blog um and i thought that was it we kind of like hit a dead end with figuring out the 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 enigma that was the shouty poet and then later on that evening i was uh i was catching some uh fish and chips for dinner (laughs) uh with a friend of the show alan murray uh he we had kind of like seen this fish and chip place on the first night and so we were absolutely going to get stuff there because galway is renowned for its freshly caught fish like you will be if you're at a fish and chip shop in galway you're more likely eating more than likely eating something that was caught in the bay that day mm-hmm. uh it's great stuff um so we were eating our fish and chips and all of a sudden i get a ding on my phone that i'd been followed back by the poet and that the poet had dropped me a dm <laughs> Ooh, interesting. Yeah, and just kind of completely, completely context-free said, and I, I, I'm going to read this DM that I got from him. He said, Dave, comma, well done on your work. No full stop. And with that, posted a link to a random post from his blog. I, so what what exactly was your work was it I, he was this podcast he was he was very non-specific about it maybe he is a big thunder fan uh, was it who knows? was it that you had followed him did he consider that to be work i don't know maybe my sterling content at the day to dave on twitter for those of you wondering <laughs> uh maybe my sterling twitter content is what won him over so i thought about this for a while i thought it'd be rude to leave him on red after he's saying dave well done on your work so i messaged him back and i said his name, I, w- I won't give away his name because I don't want people making fun of him for being a shouty poet. I said his name, comma, well done on the poems. <laughs> and then, then he, Did you link him to your blog? But then he, oh, I should have. I should have linked him to Days of Thunder. Fuck. That's a listener <laughs> gone back into the ocean. Fuck. Uh, but then he left me on read for like a full day and then wrote back, cheers, Dave. And then a link to a different post on his blog. See, that man gets it. Yeah, he gets that online marketing. He, like he has a new fan in you now. I I just it was an utterly perplexing experience, but the weekend was good. I must say. <laughs> um, we're we're celebrating for you though. Uh, I I poured out an extra drink this week um, because y- you uh, you are officially uh, allowed to drive a car on the roads now. That's what I was told today. Anyway, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I passed my driving tests. Fair play, pal. Which, if you live in America, it's not like <laughs> the way you guys have it, where yeah. you get taught in school. Oh no, we have to pay a lot of money yeah. to get lessons, and then do a test, which you also have to pay for. And then if you fail the test, you pay for the test again. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a scam, but it's almost certainly a scam. 
Yeah, it's and the thing about it is um, there's no like standardization of how much a set of lessons will cost you. No. And there's no really uh, like advisory. Oh, this is roughly how much the recommended retail price of 12 lessons because we're mandated now to do 12 lessons mm-hmm. before. Well, 12, 12 hours, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you kind of like depending on who you go to like some people get a deal some people absolutely get ripped off and it depends on the region and there's also not really it doesn't feel like standardized level of testing like you hear people say at different centers and different instructors wildly vary on how they evaluate you uh, so even really even is. down as uh, diff- different testers so like they'll they'll have up to like i know in certain parts of Dublin there could be like 20 different testers in mm. each test centre yeah. whereas the one I was in today there's normally one mm. and the variance that you can come across between testers is apparently wild yeah yeah that's, uh, that is what I've heard but congratulations nonetheless thank and, you very much and we, hopefully we no longer get lost in any road trips that we may go on in future and that at least if we do that we're recording it for quality <laughs> podcast material um <laughs> We're here to talk about WCW, of course, as we always are. We don't usually talk for quite this long about non-wrestling stuff, but here we are nonetheless. And well, well, but hang on, we haven't mentioned the most important part of the podcast yet. Oh, well, of course. Um, as our Seeing sa- as it is a celebration. Indeed. Our sanity began to fray weeks and weeks ago at this rate, so we've, we've hit the ball. And we like to pair our episodes of Days of Thunder with an, an adult beverage or two. Uh, Lee, for Uncensored 1998, which is the programme du jour, what have you gone with this evening? Well, being that it is uncens- uncensored, and this is supposed to be like the unpredictable, wildest show of the year, mm. I've gone very far off the radar for what we've had so far in the show. Hit me. I have gone for a Sam Adams a Sam Boston Adams. Lar- Boston Boston Lager. You're reaching that hand of peace all the way across the Atlantic. That's what I respect about you, brother. Oh yeah. It is a I don't know, have you ever had the Sam Adams? Uh the best I can say is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't conclusively say yes or no because of the aforementioned college years. I may have been handed a Sam Adams at some point. That would have been some college you went to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead of diplomas, six pack. Because it wasn't a particularly cheap beer. I will no, say that. No. But um, yeah, no, very nice, mm. and uh, should go very well with this world episode. Indeed. Um, I- I've gone with two this evening. I've gone with my beer. I've got a, a Blue Moon Belgian White, which is a, a nice mild kind of citrusy beer. That is uh, for uh, a very warm, as I explained to Lee off the air, my little recording studio here in my house gets uh, unbearably warm uh, when the window is shut during the summer. And the fan, uh, for the sake of audio quality, I don't turn the fan on when I record either. Um, So the top will probably get popped off at some point and I'll be guzzling my can, which will be (laughs) quite a sight to see. I'll save that for the Days of Thunder Patreon. Uh, Some some premium content. Um... That'll be for when you and Father James Mitchell are sitting together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When he when he sings the anthem as we come out on stage. Um, I also have a... Uh, in honour of your passing your driving test, I've poured myself a, a, a single serving of Jemison IPA edition. Ooh. Uh, yeah. 
I so have not have that. I have that, and I would typically have uh, the IPA edition in particular. I would typically have a couple of ice cubes in that, but we ran out of ice today, so I'm just having it neat. How, how do you run out of ice? Uh... Well, you see, we, we used to have a deadly ice cube tray, and then we lost it. So we just kind of buy bags of ice now. And I was away for the weekend, so I didn't realize we were running low. I would usually be the one of the two of us that would notice. Um, and I went looking for them for uh, this drink, and there was none. So that'll be a trip to the shop tomorrow. But anyway. That, that is shocking. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. I know, right? Um, <laughs> let, let's get around to it. Uncensored 1998, March 15th, 1998 to be exact. From Mobile, Alabama, home of uh, the Hollies. Um, interesting note on this. Uh, we do stay as context-free as possible, but I couldn't help notice the date, March 1998. This pay-per-view is taking place two weeks before WrestleMania 14. Uh which is interesting because this would be two weeks before WWF really and truly hit the gas and started to put WCW in the rear mirror. The Austin era, as it were. Uh, indeed. I know Bischoff has already covered this pay-per-view on his podcast, 80, uh, 83 weeks, but um, I obviously we stay context-free, so I won't be listening to that until afterwards. I'd be interested to see what he has to say about this period of time. Well, where, I just won't listen to Eric Bischoff on a podcast. Yeah. Well, look, do you know? Oh, actually, did we? We didn't. Talk, we haven't recorded since this news broke, have we? No, we haven't. Yeah, uh, we should probably mention that just as, just before we get to the top of the show. Eric Bischoff is the speaking of Eric Bischoff and Blue Brands. Eric Bischoff is now in charge of SmackDown in 2019. It I, doesn't feel real. <laughs> It's fucking weird, man. Like <laughs> Heyman's running Raw, which is like cool in its own way, and is a completely separate thing from what we do here. But we we couldn't not mention uh, old Easy wormed his way back into an executive position in wrestling in the year of our Lord 2019. My word, what a worker! So, what do you think is going to be the first angle he runs that everyone is able to point at and go, "Yep, that's Bischoff." Um, it's tough to say because a lot of the Bischoff tropes uh, are already at play on WWE TV all the time, as in like never giving finishes to matches mm-hmm. uh, and playing things out way longer than they probably should. I think there's a very obvious one. Go for it. Hulk, brother. Oh, yeah. Big Terry coming to SmackDown coming to save Kofi one day yeah maybe in the Mr. America gear <laughs> maybe you could have a Mr. America and Donald Trump in the ring together oh dear lord uh, let's let's travel back in time uh, <laughs> like this is just we're just gonna have to we're just gonna have to get to it eventually look it wasn't I, I think it was we're talking about it like this was a fucking dire pay-per-view I know there's gonna be a lot worse um but we'll just get into it anyway. We start off with a super dangerous, edgy video package. In case you didn't know, Uncensored is like it is a Joe Daddy's pay per view. Um, it's so like, did you do you just find this with the theme of the nightly, where they're trying so fucking hard to make you think this is an incredibly unpredictable pay per view, and that it's you know it's dangerous, it's it's got edges. Yeah, it felt very, very forced, and I don't know if you you wrote this down or kind of noticed this, but the the graphics on Uncensored, what did you make of the whole ransom note yeah. kind of lettering? 
Oh, it's like a- like it's a nineteen eighties like fucking movie. Oh yeah, heavily ransom note e and to the point where they were kind of ignoring, like they were trying to do clever things in the intro video package with the lettering, and it made it look like the man's name was Hall Scott and not Scott Hall. <laughs> um, look- what I didn't like about the package was there was no. It was like they were skipping between Savage Hogan, Hall and Sting, and mm. it didn't actually give you a definitive idea of which one what of the actual matches were. Ones, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You were kind of no wiser by the time this pay per view started. Um, our pay per view commentary team tonight is uh, Tony Brain and Mike Tanay, not just being flown in for the uh, the Lucha match tonight. Actually getting a proper run out, getting capped for Team WCW here. Is, is this his first full pay-per-view? Um, I think so, because who was it they had before? Was Larry on the first one? I think Larry um, was on the first one. No, Larry one. was wrestling on the first one, wasn't he? On oh, he was wrestling on the first one. It was... Oh, fuck. I'm gonna... Hmm. Ah, Dusty. Dusty was on Dusty. the first one. Dusty, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he turned, baby. Yeah. Um... Anyway, uh, the three lads are there, and they're kind of they're they're plugging the cage match huge. And um, Tanay is mentioning how this pay per view has an over the edge attitude. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, not even just for that. Like, I hadn't actually thought of that, but just like the idea of Mike Tanay being able to tell me what something dangerous in wrestling is the man who looks like more like a geography teacher than most geography teachers hey look he wore that leather jacket once actually no do you know what he looks more like than anything like a haunted librarian not like a like not I, I don't want you to mis- like misunderstand me here Lee not like a librarian in a haunted library I mean the librarian himself is haunted like he's got a few ghosts rattling around in him um, that, you, you basically just described Lava Bates <laughs> oh look I've right, okay now now I firmly don't ever want to mention the word librarian again now you've reminded me of that <laughs> shit show um, um, did you get your hopes up when Shivani said this was going to be the hottest two hours of pay-per-view no because I knew he was lying <laughs> <laughs> well just the fact that he said two hours and then I clicked on the time bar and I went you bastard it's 2.45 oh, two hours bit yeah well like this is from the guy who said there was thousands watching at home there might have been when there was well you know that famous time where like he was the one person was it uh, was it Meltzer or, or Alvarez that he's the one person in the history of commentary to like undersell how much of a crowd was watching something <laughs> yeah wasn't it the Georgia Dome he announced yeah. like something like 39,000 and there was actually like 46 or something yeah yeah so like I, I didn't his, his tease of two hours I wasn't buying um, I will say this kind of in advance and we'll talk about it as we go on I, I don't know if you agree with me of this I felt about half the pay-per-view absolutely flew by, but mm-hmm. the half that dragged, oh my god. The second half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can just say it. it's the second half. Not even all of the second half. Like, I think there's some stuff in that kind of, like, we'll say the third quarter that's some good stuff in there. Definitely mm-hmm. the final quarter and about half of the third quarter is... <laughs> um, yeah, from about match five on, this show is just... Oof. Yeah. Um, what have we got here to kick things off? Only Eddie Guerrero with his new Ward Chavo versus Booker. Um, what What do you think about the stage here? We talked about how last month it feel it felt kind of big time, like those uh, baseball stadium shows WWF ran. Um, 
I thought Didn't this like was it. a very lackluster setup. Yeah, n- nothing special. Like we all reminisce about the classic WCW stages, and like you had like Halloween Havoc with the big pumpkins, and Bash at the Beach had a very distinctive set. Spring Stampede next month obviously has a very distinctive kind of cowboy western type setting. Yeah, this just felt like. A couple of light boxes either side of the entrance, yeah, black ramp. It's one Bang. of my favorite things in wrestling from this time to revisit, and I, I know it kind of went by the wayside with the like how ostentatious, HDR. like how, yeah. how much those sets obviously would have cost. But it is one of my favorite things from wrestling growing up because it made every pay per view feel mm-hmm. different and and feel like a big deal. This felt very kind of just a random in your house sort of thing. Yeah, like if this had been like the set for the original sold out and it was just NWO logos kind of yeah. instead of the incensor thing, you go, yeah, that kind of fits their aesthetic. Or, or like Whereas, to, to have a, a common, like a, a, a nowadays comparison, it's like when WWE at the last minute decide to make a house show and network special and they try to like slap together a stage at the last second. Yeah, that's what it, that's actually exactly what it looked like. Hmm. Very poor, but, um, well, speaking of speaking of poor Chavo's um, <laughs> freshly divorced dad on the prowl for some Cougars gear he was wearing here wasn't great. White t-shirt under a shirt, classic yeah. look. Classic, absolutely classic. But uh, I was very excited for this match uh, heading in, uh, and what I really appreciate is as Booker T is coming out and this match is starting, uh, Tony is very keen to point out last month's Iron Man performance that the two of us raved about on this show mm-hmm. from Booker T. Um, and it is worth putting over like they they reckon this was kind of that was the the match or the two matches should we say that have kind of made him now a made guy in wcw i find it hard to disagree as well even though he was quite popular coming in um they talk about how uh, as tv champion he he doesn't just have a aspiration to your usual i just want to have the belt for a long time i don't want to be beaten uh the guys are saying that he specifically named Aaron Anderson as a guy he wants to either equal or eclipse as a memorable television champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really do a good job of building up Booker T um, throughout this period, I think. Oh, yeah. like they, they really put him over as this kind of great guy, great personality. He, w- he looks up to these legends, as it were, of the uh, NWA, WCW era. Mm. And like even just mentioning him in the same breath as Aaron Anderson would be a big deal to for someone like Booker at that yeah. time. Like that that position on the card to to even have Shivani say, you know, this is what he's aiming for. And, and um, as well, you've got to think like we're thinking back um, from twenty nineteen, where like Aaron Anderson is you know to a certain extent revered to, to people who are kind of like firmly in the bubble. But at the time, for people in that in that territory. The, the kind mm-hmm. of the, the, the southern territory in the United States. Arn Anderson was royalty, you know? Oh, he he, he was a step below Rick Ar- Rick Flair as, like, one of the gods of the NWA, like. Yeah, absolutely. And to be given that seal of approval openly um, mm-hmm. by, kind of, uh, at the time, respected wrestling commentators, um, that is an absolute, like, a huge positive boon. That is, like, more and more evidence that they're at least toying with the idea of strapping the rocket to this guy. Um, I don't know if you noticed as soon as Booker's music started yeah. um, they went to a wide shot of the of the like the lower part of the arena and you can see as soon as the music starts you can see a bunch like a good majority of the fans on the floor doing the whole the, the pump up thing that Booker oh, the, does the, the raising the roof yeah raising the roof yeah. Um, 
like a load of people start doing that and it's just another it was kind of like I was sitting there watching I was like shit like I almost forget how over he is like every time I go to watch a show I'm like damn like Booker was so over at this time and yeah he doesn't get the big push until like and late 99 it at least looks like a smaller building than the Cow Palace last month I don't know that mm-hmm. for sure um, but it feels just as loud the, the reception oh, yeah. for him and a couple of like the people who they're into on this show they're absolutely into this crowd is very very hot uh, mm-hmm. early on uh, Eddie doing his typical kind of chicken heel shit stuff doesn't want Atten to do with Booker T early um, and as Booker T is getting up in his face he's kind of figuring out ways to back off and come out and regroup Um there's a bit early on in this match or towards the middle of this match where uh, Booker T hits a super kick as Eddie's coming off the ropes. And I just want to make note of it because it's something we'll remark less and less on as time goes on. I thought there was a, an absolutely great bit of camera work, the the timing of the cut to this super kick. Um, it really made it look like he fucking decapitated mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it looked like he killed him, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I imagine, I, like, I, if, if you look at kind of where the line of his thigh is, I, I it seems like it was quite safe, but the way the camera cut, it, it just looked an absolute, <laughs> absolute mm-hmm. murder. Well, that's um, Keith Mitchell, who's now obviously in charge of the AEW um, ah, yes. camera crew. Mm. So... Hopefully we have stuff like that to look forward to on AEW. Um, I I did like uh, Booker with a press slam early on, kind of just showing how strong he is. Yeah, an underrated an underrated part of Booker T's game, I think, um, mm-hmm. because people think of him as a kind of high impact wrestler with a couple of surprising high flying moves uh, coming off the top. But yeah, you don't talk about how like he's a big strong boy. I think he's one of those deceptively large guys, like. Yeah, if he were to come along now, he'd be a fucking monster compared to most of the guys. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas at the time, he was a step above the vanilla midgets. Shall yeah, we say. yeah, he wasn't quite as big as your physically as like your Hogan's and your mm-hmm. your Nashes and your Giants. But compared to yeah, like like you say, if you dropped him in twenty nineteen, now he would look like a, a monster. Um, what what did you think of Eddie working over the knee? Well, this is what I was gonna say: is that Eddie gets the heat and. Um, it's amazing one of my favorite things about heel eddie guerrero is just how like methodical and cold he is in it like Mm -hmm. not cold in a way that i'm not into it but cold in the kind of merciless targeting of a weak spot it's one of my favorite things about him um and like as he's working him over as well like he's telling the story about he's consistently attacking this knee um and he's doing every so often just in case like you're getting su- too sucked into the wrestling and you're not cheering or booing or kind of going well he's a great wrestler maybe i should cheer him he does little dickhead things that just kind of almost correct you to go oh yeah he's the guy i don't like even though he's doing some cool wrestling here um the best part of which is like um him using the ropes for leverage when he's got him in kind of like a like almost like a calf crusher knee bar sort of thing mm-hmm. um and another another kind of layer to this and a good point on commentary for the evening uh, coming from Brain here as soon as he's using the ropes for leverage uh, Brain almost like it's something that routinely bothers him that people misread about wrestling explains that the ropes don't actually increase the pain of the hold but by putting the pressure of, of leaning on the ropes and therefore being able to kind of tilt more of your body weight onto the man what you're doing is you're making it harder for him to escape the hold mm-hmm and like something like it's such a small thing Lee and it's it's literally I will say I've been again watching wrestling since I was like six years old 
and the internal logic of the like I know that you get an advantage by leveraging the ropes like that but I never actually quite thought about why that logic works and Bobby Heenan has just explained it to me in like two sentences and now my understanding of wrestling has been enriched it's like you think of the amount of times you've seen a wrestler like lean on the ropes or pull themselves up on the ropes while they're holding somebody in a submission like the figure four for example yeah and like Rick Flair will grab the middle rope and kind of pull over or whatever and the person like oh you know sell it like crazy but like like Keenan says that's not increase. it shouldn't be increasing the pain yeah it should be just Flair is that bit higher so again it's harder to get out of the submission yeah so clever so so clever um, I I I'd loved Heenan had one line about um, Shivani was saying the family aren't very proud of Eddie he mentioned you know Chavo Senior and Hector and they weren't very happy with how Eddie was treating Chavo Junior yeah and uh, Heenan says if the family don't like it cut him out cut Eddie out of will they can put me in <laughs> yeah <laughs> never one to miss an opportunity <laughs> and uh, Shivani is just like uh, you know, no need for that. And he was yeah. like, "Ah, yeah, you're right. What would they do with a 56 Dorado anyway?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just he has like characteristically for him. This is not going to stun anybody. Like a couple of absolute parlors on this show mm-hmm. that I'm sure we'll get around to. Um, there's a bit where Booker absolutely like probably the most devastating looking axe kick I've seen him hit so far on this show. Where again, it looks like he has firmly dislodged mm-hmm. Eddie's head from his shoulders with it. Um. There's a the, the the big side slam, the 110 street slam. He it sounds like he murders Eddie with it. Yeah. Then there's the bit. Yeah, he does the the kind of like the um. That's the that's the Alabama slam. Yeah, the type. Yeah, it's spine yeah. buster type. Stuff, so yeah. yeah, so he hits that, and it it's kind of to. It's funny because like there was that match on Thunder where was it or was it Thunder was the pay per view last month where they were hyping up that this move was going to show up and it never did. I think it was a thunder, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because he does this move now and Tony immediately calls it a sidewalk slam. Mm-hmm. I was just like, he hit the move. Now you, this is this is when you should be telling us about it. Oh, yeah, it was an episode of Thunder because it was Stagger Lee was telling us about the move and it never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, Booker hits, and we, we've complimented it before, an absolute whopper of a missile dropkick and wins. Yeah. Um... I Every time like I forget that he would finish people with that move sometimes. Yeah, and no, I wasn't a fan of the finish. Um, mm. After Eddie working over his leg for so long, he kind of just ignored it. <laughs> yeah, I find there was a couple of points. I don't know who was it, like, who were the agents at this time necessarily. Um, but I found a, there was a couple of points in the show where people just all of a sudden, when it was convenient, just immediately stopped selling something that had been mm. worked over for quite a while, um, which is a bit of a pet hate. Um, so following the match um, Chavo they show on replay Chavo was watching on the, the result of the match and Eddie losing and he's kind of slyly delighted about it um, they're talking about him smiling but like he's he's kind of not smiling enough for it to be obvious it kind of feels like the commentators are reaching a bit um, and then even though he's very subtly doing it, Eddie somehow from inside the ring notices it and comes out and the two of them get into an argument. They shove each other. Eddie begs off, tells him to kind of, you know, sorry, go on ahead. And then he just jumps him and attacks him. Um, and that's Yeah, Chav- of... Chavo just wasn't even very good at doing that. No. <laughs> uh, and that's your, your follow-up on that angle. So that, that must continue anyway. Uh, Cyan... In, in, go on, yes, I was just going to say, another little Heenan t- tidbit from the uh, the replays. Yeah. 
Shivani uh, calls for the replays here and goes, I'll handle this. Take huh. it, Snake. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guy. thought was just brilliant. Yeah. Just, just typical Bobby brilliance. Uh, we had a sign in the crowd before this next match, I noticed, that said, Mean Gene is my dad. So I guess we know what the end result of that spring break contest was. The other <laughs> <week>. <laughs> uh, mean Gene letting his mean jeans all over spring break, apparently. Um, our next match. Oh, no. It's Conan versus Hoovy. <laughs> Nope, I'm not the owner. <laughs> oh, this is you, you can do this one. I'm not the owner. Oh, you're, just, you're just sitting back, are you? No, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting back and having a beer. You're giving me the office. This has been too way too good of a day to have to talk about a fucking Conan match. Yeah, right. So Conan versus Hubie comes out, and I know at first that Hubie's tights are are pretty shite here. Um, I'm not a big fan of them, but then as I was writing that, I kind of went ah well you know what in fairness and then I wrote but at least he's wearing gear unlike your da over in the other side uh, who's wearing his company picnic slacks uh, with his singlet um, here's the thing like and I've kind of we've always said that Hoovy's timing is a bit weird and that we we don't really with the right guy he's having some decent matches but we can't quite put our finger on what exactly it is we don't like about him sometimes mm. in this match I could pinpoint pretty well what I didn't care about him for uh, and that is like the way he bumps and throws himself around the place is just a little too reckless for me it's not like the kind of controlled recklessness that you kind of you go well that looked bad but they're probably alright the I kind of one of the, the the contemporary examples of that would be like, say a Jack Evans when Jack Evans is getting thrown mm. around the place. You go, well, he's made of rubber, he's fine, or um, like a more kind of a, a bigger example that more people would have seen on on television. It would be Sasha Banks, who gets ragdolled around in a lot of her matches, but she's usually fine. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Hoovy's a weird one. Um, I, I see that comparison, I totally see that, and yeah. I just think it's just that he's just not that good. Yeah, no, it's just, I, I don't think he knows necessarily on the more risky bumps what exact way he should tuck himself or protect himself. Mm. That, like, he didn't come out of this match seriously hurt, but I had written down, as like, it is a wonder, he's 21 here, and it is no small wonder how he wasn't crippled by 25, and that's not me, like, saying it in a kind of jokey way. Like, honestly, I was looking at some of these bumps. There's particularly one, there's one he takes into the ropes, and then there's one he takes his first bump onto the steps, I think, where, like, I... Is that I, the, the monkey flipped the one into the, into the ropes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like mm. both of them I, I properly flinched in my seat. Um they they looked really, really bad. Um Are, are you finished dragging on Hoovy? Because I want to talk about Conan because yeah, Well the the one the, sorry, the other bump I want to talk about just oh, this, yeah. the same thing. One last bump. There's a bit where uh, Conan hits a release German 
on him and he doesn't like talk as much as he should and he is no joke you watch this match back if you're someone who watches the, the pay-per-views along with us on this show and you're talking half an inch and he's yeah. spiked on the top of his head it, and it's, it's one of it's one of the things in this match because you're about to get on to conan it's one of the things Conan's involved in this match that I can't in all good conscience blame him for because he's released at the right time in as far as I can tell for someone who mm-hmm. hasn't actually wrestled before myself. Um, he uh, There was nothing unusual about the way he did the release German. It just seemed that Hoovy should have kind of tucked his body a bit more kind of near the top of the arc so he'd get the whole way over and he didn't. Yeah, not, not only that, he was very lucky he wasn't a bit closer to the ropes because... Like his feet wouldn't have come down in time, or you know anything oh, else could have went wrong. Sorry, one more, um, one more stupid hoovy bump here. Sorry, I just saw my last point here. There's one point where Conan, this, and this is fifty fifty blame. I will say Conan does a slingshot. You know where you, you kind of you, you slingshot the guy into the mm-hmm. corner and he takes a bump. So, firstly, Conan was way too close to the corner when he did this slingshot in the first place, and he should have known that. But secondly. Hoovy, in spite of obviously seeing how close they were to the turnbuckle, still attempted to do a somersault while he was diving. And, like, he had maybe about two two feet of space to clear this somersault without, like, landing on his head or on Conan's head or something like that. And I I got really, really nervous. I was like, I hope this match is nearly over. Yeah, sorry. That. That, that, that was the spot I was talking about. Sorry, not yeah. monkey flip, uh, slingshot. Um, yeah. What a fucking dumb bump. <laughs> yeah, uh, there was no need for it at all. Like, it was... Of all of them, you could go, right, he wants to take a devastating bump into the steps, or uh, we've seen all the luchadors do the, the arse over tea kettle into the mm-hmm. ropes thing, or the missed drop kick into the ropes, or whatever. So you can see what he's trying to emulate there. I can't figure out any rational reason why anybody would do that somersault bump in that little space of a slingshot. It's well, I mean, you have the expert luchador in there with him in Conan who obviously okayed the fucking spot yeah well at this point I would like to give you the office to talk about your favourite wrestler in the world Conan uh, there's just one spot one spot that I just everything else in this match does not matter after this right he has Hoovy wrapped up in some kind of submission Uh and he drops down and it's like um I think he has him in that kind of like you know the rocking cradle where he has his his legs wrapped up and his arms kind of tied behind it or you know suspended behind him so it's like a kind of rocking horse type thing. Yeah, yeah. And he lets Hoovy down head first and then proceeds to drop all his fucking body weight onto Hoovy's neck. Conan is a fucking moron. Yeah. How Hoovy was not fucking paralyzed. Yeah. When it's somebody like Whatever about when Hoovy is in there being reckless Hoovy and he's in there with somebody who is at a hundred percent safe pair of hands or good base or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like Conan uh, between a, a an apparent like I don't want to ascribe deliberate things to the man, but it seemed like he like he didn't wasn't particularly careful here. You know what I mean? That's that's how it came off, whether rightly or wrongly. And the fact that, and this may have contributed heavily to it, it seemed that about 90 seconds into this match, he was completely blown up. Yeah, he was fucking breathing deep. Yeah, so like it, you say, it may have been a case where minutes. it wasn't that he was being careful. It wasn't that he, a case that he was being careless. It was a case that he literally was just gassed. Not fit to fucking work. Yeah. And, I mean, he comes back out later on the show, and I'll talk about him then as well. Mm. 
But I mean, this guy should not be wrestling on the fucking show. Yeah. He's not safe. No. He's not fit to work. And he's fucking boring. Yeah. There's a... It's the the wheelbarrow... Like a kind of the the snap wheelbarrow German suplex or whatever you want to call it. Mm. That it it looked... Admittedly, it looked really cool. But it it kind of like... In the context of how things have been going in the match, I was kind of just going, oh, Hoobie's poor neck and head. Oh, his poor neck and head. Mm -hmm. Um... It was at this point that you really start to see how blown up Conan looked because there's a bit where he attempts covers and, like, he's attempting these covers in slow fucking motion. Um, like, properly kind of going for a nap on top of Hoovy and then he attempts, a, I think, a second or third one and Hoovy rolls him up in a crucifix and pins him. And he couldn't even do that right. No. He couldn't actually get into position to, to you know, enable himself to be cradled by Hoovy properly. Yeah, he had to kind of, like, drag him across him. Um, Conan attacks Hoovy. Um, Hoovy kind of really awkwardly is kind of on the ropes for a while and then goes to jump on him, even though it's plainly obvious Conan's going to catch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, catches him, kind of awkward, hits his 187 cradle DDT. Um, and then, oh my god, this Irish whip. <laughs> Have you in your life ever seen a slower Irish whip than this one? No. And this is on both of them because, like, he's getting into position and whipping Hoovy super heavy. And Hoovy is either just doesn't care and is going as slow as he's going, or mm-hmm. it's a case of maybe he miscommunicated what he was supposed to be doing here. Um, and then he just kind of does the vertical press on him and throws him to the outside. Uh, yeah, and that's it. Which is like a over. real kind of shitty, like as far as moves where you throw him on the outside, it's a real shitty one to like end the segment as the mm-hmm. heel. Um, but look, it's over now, Lee. We got through it. We don't have to talk about Conan until later on. <laughs> <laughs> until later in the show, yeah. Uh, Yay. Gene is on the stage with James J. Dillon. Uh, JJ announces that per the Giants' request, the powerbomb is legal tonight in his match with Nash. Um, he had yeah he had requested it and he said he took it to Nash's camp. All the while, G- Mean Gene is like, no, no, surely you won't <laughs> make it legal for the night. And he's like, I went to Kevin Nash's camp and they were absolutely delighted with the idea. So for one night only, this is uncensored. We're making the power bomb legal. And then to end the segment, JJ just kind of wanders off. <laughs> and so the long form storytelling of the giant being a fucking moron as well continues. Continues, yeah, yeah. Which way did he go? Um, (laughs) then we have an oasis of brilliance in the middle of a sea of cowards thank god for this match Dean Malenko versus Chris Jericho in my notes here all caps yes (laughs) Um, it's definitely Jericho this time and not Lenny Lane there was no mask so there was no confusion here he dances out like an absolute dork I'm 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 already loving this segment. This is already my segment of the show before he's even in the fucking ring. Uh, he comes around uh, ringside and he sees a dude with a Jericho rules sign and he's going, yeah, yeah, cool, man. And then he takes the sign and he tears it up. And as he's walking into the ring, did you catch this, Lee? Oh yeah, I got goes, it. Yeah, I'm too good to be his role model. <laughs> Oh, what a heel. And at this point, I noticed that he's wearing a thousand and four hold tights, which is, oh, what a man. Which he keeps pointing out to the referee as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I loved on the entrance. Now, obviously, we have the uh, Walls of Jericho theme song. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
But Jericho comes out, like you say, dancing and playing air guitar. Not cool the way Hulk Hogan does. Oh, no. Being, like you say, the the biggest dork in Alabama that night. Yeah. Being the, like, the little kid at the family party that got too much sugar and is trying to put on a show for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um... Here's the thing. This isn't this isn't exactly like a, a headline grabbing hot take here for me. Dean Malenko was great. Oh, Dean Malenko was so fucking good. Like he was proper great. Like he's so the thing about him, like, so we all kind of know, you know, even people who didn't watch him wrestle when he was an active wrestler, like you hear the stories about what an accomplished technical wrestler he was. And yes, this is all very true. But here's the thing about Dean Malenko. That that's kind of underrated about him and that's like how agile he was mm-hmm. and how smooth he was there's bits where like here where he's doing like his, his tackle drop down spot and he's kind of like he's a bit like more kind of uh, flighty and agile than I would have expected or remembered yeah I mean like there's a reason he kept getting put back in with luchadors and the cruiserweights in general yeah, because he was fucking great at that style. Not only mm-hmm. like was he a great technical wrestler. I mean, I think everyone has probably seen like the, the matches with Eddie and Benoit and ECW, and then I know himself and Eddie had a series in WCW as well when they both got there. Um, like the matches with Ray, but I mean this, this match. I mean it's just fucking. It's so good. Malenko as the face against this absolute dickhead of a heel. Yeah, and um, he, he just delivers like. There are many fine spots in this match that we'll talk mm-hmm. about over the next couple of minutes, but there's one, there's one moment in this match that I, I had to like, it, it, I had to rewind and take in again, and it's such a simple thing. It wasn't like a big flip or a big devastating move or anything like that. It was a moment that showed the, the, the wrestling IQ and acumen of probably both these men, but certainly Dean Malenko, um, whoever put this spot into the match. Because something that I, I think is the bane of a lot of people, particularly watching modern televised American wrestling, is the idea of the heel walking out and getting counted out. Mm-hmm. Right? Hate it. And it seems to be like the babyface is just hapless to let it happen, apart from, you know, sometimes the babyface gives chase and tries to throw them back into the ring. That's not what Dean Malenko did. This I and this I I don't know about I don't know if you had the reaction I had to this moment, Lee, but this fucking blew my mind as to why is this not the thing that is always done when the heel tries to do this. Dean thwarts this idea. So Jericho is kind of taking his ball and going home. He realizes he probably can't out wrestle Dean Malenko, or at least he's putting on a smoke screen like he doesn't mm-hmm. think he can out wrestle Dean Malenko. So he takes his ball, he tries to go home. Dean Malenko, very simply, very calmly, he is the Iceman after all, just gets out of the ring, gets back into the ring breaks the count oh genius like like and and obviously then like you think about the logic of that and it's like well jericho can't go now he can't take his belt because in theory dean malenko can just keep breaking the count over and over again ad infinitum and he will never get to take his belt with him so this compels jericho to come back and and they got me at one point because the camera is so tight on jericho as he's going up the the rampway yeah that it's the old WWF spot. You like you expect them to just go tumbling. Somebody's going to come behind them and close yeah. on or knock them yeah. to the ground, whatever. Instead, the camera just turns as Jericho turns to look back at the ring. The camera just turns, yeah, and it's just like ah, oh, 
another, brilliant. Another brilliant bit of direction. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't until the last second that we realized what Malenko was doing. And it just, I could not get over this. And it's course- such a simple thing. I'll tell you, I, I know... I know well who will absolutely fucking love a spot like that, and that's our friend Jamesy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know he hates the modern New Japan countout spot. Yeah. But he would very much appreciate what uh, Malenko did. Um, yeah, this seems really up his street. Uh, there's a great exchange on commentary like this uh, where they're talking about the 1,004 holes thing, and Tony says, Do you really believe he knows 1,004 holes? And Brain says, No, of course not. Two or three more than Malenko, yeah, but not four. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God bless the brain. So Jericho took the upper hand after they got back into the ring, and uh, another bit that got me nearly up out of my chair, pacing in the den at this one, was Malenko firing up with headbutts. Oh, when he fires back, like after Jericho's been on in control for a couple of minutes yeah. as soon as Malenko starts firing back the crowd go fucking mental yeah oh my god um, so Dean um, yeah Dean manages to block the lion tamer again this isn't a thing where like you know you see the thing of the guy trying to twist his shoulders counter to the way Jericho mm-hmm. is to try and spin out of the walls but the way Dean Malenko again very simply blocking the hold by putting his arm on the inside of Jericho's calves <sighs> Preventing him being able to turn him over onto his stomach. That was again chef kiss. Yeah, like just such small things. It's Mm -hmm. so good. Uh, Jericho. Then this obviously is playing into the story of the match that Dean is so clever and is outsmarting every shortcut or every move Jericho is trying to apply. um, That it makes Jericho go outside his comfort zone. So he goes high risk and attempts uh, a top rope hurricane rana. Um, But. Malenko grabs him and absolutely destroys him with a top rope gut buster. An avalanche gut buster that, again, had me up out of my chair. Oh, yeah. Fucking great looking move. Yeah. And that that's one of those that you, you look at and you go, fuck, that has to hurt. Yeah. Um, bit of an exchange here. And then uh, at one point, I think uh, Malenko goes to hit a drop kick or similar leaves a trailing leg as he does it that's all Jericho needs mm. one leg grabs him tamer sets it in deep this time and he taps out an absolutely fabulous encounter and what what I loved was he didn't just tap him out he locked in like the, the Boston Crab style line tamer and, Jer- and uh, Malenko is crawling to the ropes and the fans are willing like physically urging him to get to the ropes yeah. And Jericho just pulls him back to the centre, locks in the actual lion tamer, bang, over. Uh, Jericho, in this match, like, all at the same time, establishes himself as a coward, a dickhead, but when he has to, and his back is against the wall, he's a brilliant wrestler. Oh, he like, after this match, you can't help but go, he's an, an elite-level wrestler. He yeah. is, like, the, and, but, the best cruiserweight and, in the world. Yeah, and, and we both mean that in terms of, like, our way of looking at things where we're looking at how the matches work but also in storyline he has clearly established himself again because like again he his character at this point is a guy who will try to take any available shortcut if he has to because he just not that he can't wrestle it's just that he'd rather not Mm. (laughs) do you know because when he does he's beaten a lot of these dudes clean you know relatively speaking like he's taken some shortcuts during the match that are that are, are, are less than fair but at the end of the day, he caught Dean Malenko's loose leg on this dropkick, turned him into the lion tamer. There was no low blow or anything like that to do it. 
and here we are we've got a winner um then if uh, you had to compare Malenko to a current wrestler who who would you compare him to right I don't know if this is a million miles off and it may be just me thinking about the top rope gut buster a little bit too much but I thought a lot about Roderick Strong during this match that's not who I was thinking but I do I do like that comparison that's in, very good in as much as brilliant technical wrestler accruing a series of un, underrated bangers that it's very clear the company he's in aren't ever going to put him at the level he should be at. See, I was thinking some someone that we would have seen up close and personal many, many times. Go for it. Tim. Oh, big Tim. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tim is a guy, uh, Tim Thatcher, by the way, for, for those of you who don't know. Um, he's a guy who... The thing that I think is most similar between him and Dean Malengo is the concept of no wasted motion. Mm-hmm. There's nothing Tim Thatcher does and there's nothing Dean Malengo did during his career in the middle of a match that was done for no reason. You know? Everything had a purpose and even though they would be both considered uh, particularly for Tim during his Evolve run I think of uh, considered like a relatively dry personality mm-hmm. uh, something that was definitely leveled at Dean Malenko for a lot of his career as well whether fairly or not um, has an incredible kind of physical charisma like able to tell a story in a match very well uh, and I think unfortunately for Dean Malenko in his era where there was less of an education to that style of wrestling out there um, I-, I think a lot of people watched a lot of his matches and go, that was a really great match, but overlooked the idea that a lot of it was probably down to Dean Malenko, you know? Whereas now Tim Thatcher, um, post-Evolve run, because in this indie boom, a lot of the people who follow independent wrestling now are way more clued in than your average kind of WCW TV watcher in the 90s. Tim, within that bubble that he's in now, gets the respect he deserves whereas I don't feel Dean Malenko really ever did no whereas if Malenko had to come along five to seven years later and he would have been around for like the Ring of Honor pure title era with McGuinness and Danielson oh dude oh, yeah. like he, like people would be talking about him as one of the best of all time yeah absolutely oh completely um, we have uh, an interview segment after this where I, I thought this was cool because like again a, a moment that a, a builds on Jericho being an utter dork is that Gene comes down and as Gene is coming past Jericho, Jericho has the quick thinking to immediately start cutting the promo he thinks Gene is waiting for him to cut but Gene just sails right past him an absolute look care. of disgust on his face he's, as he yeah, walks past him he's like, I, I won the match, like look at his face and he comes in uh, to Dean Malenko and he is I, I, Gene's a dickhead he's excessively <laughs> harsh like, like I, I've he's... never known Malenko and Gene to be friends, and Gene just fucking like this just... was like this was nearly the levels of that infamous video uh, that we will talk about one day, even though it was a nitro of Gene absolutely mowing down the um, the natural born thrillers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was like yeah, it was proper dickhead Gene pointing out how like you know you're zero and four in pay per views this year, you couldn't get it done, you couldn't get it done, and you couldn't get it done again here tonight. Um, and the one thing I noted during this was the the cringy use instead of pay per view of the phrase mega events, 
Um, Gene asks at the end of this tirade against him, which goes on for a good 30 seconds, where does Dean Malenko go from here? And He flat out calls him a loser. Yeah, yeah, he calls him a loser. (laughs) He says, where does Dean Malenko go from here? And Dean says, home, and just bails out. And then, like, Gene is freaking out about how, like... um, this loser is going home (laughs) he won't answer any questions and then when he does get an answer that's the kind of answer I get but it's like Gene you didn't ask him any questions you mowed him down for 30 seconds you trashed his entire career in front of him and asked him a really rude question and I'd say I I did like Malenko's kind of selling of it all while Gene was just being an absolute wanker to him Malenko like has the hands on the head and he 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 contemplates answering a couple of the comments but um he ultimately just says nah fuck this uh raven is in uh, in between matches here you see a, a shot of raven in what is now officially referred to as the internet location he's on the internet yeah he's on the internet with his two dads stagger lee and mark madden and you know what was staggering right about this was that I made it look up like okay this is really the start of seeing Mark Madden because we saw him last month we saw him this month it's like I wonder how old Mark Madden was at this point because he was around for quite a while and like he's still on Twitter now being obnoxious if you say he's in his 20s I'll fucking scream he was already nearly 40 at this time what he was like 38 wow yeah I could not believe it I feel um, really less worse about myself now having known that yeah yeah um (laughs) It was just I, I like I was expecting to be able to come on here and go. He was twenty two, <laughs> you know, something crazy like that. And I was like, fucking hell! It was complete other side of things. Like, doesn't I he have the? Um, is it the Liverpool crest on his Twitter page? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a bit. He's mad for football. He loves football, um, but unfortunately, he's a trash man, um, as evidenced by his choice of football team. Way. Um, our next <laughs> match. Uh, Scott. Steiner, White Thunder versus Lex Luger. Um, there was no references to White Thunder. I, there was from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, White Thunder jumps Lex as he <laughs> enters. <laughs> I'm at the point now, Lee, um, where... Uh, hang on, how do we feel about White Thunder taking on a German national hero? Not wild about it, I'll be honest. <laughs> Look back on, is it episode one or two for our famous Lex Luger train story? Um, yeah, not the Lex Luger bus, the train. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the, that was our Lex Express, truly. That's Lex Express. Um, this this is the point where I realised that for matches that are in the middle of a WCW card that clearly whoever was planning out the match didn't really care about, I can start to book these matches in my sleep, Lee. How many matches have you seen so far in the Run of Thunder that sound like this, where it's a time waster between two stiffs that starts off with a sneak attack, then goes to a brawl outside, a throw over the guardrail, followed by shenanigans? (laughs) I think you just described like 90% of the matches we talk about, and we'll talk about for the rest of this fucking show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it finally clicked. Like, this is the formula for we don't know what to do with this. We don't really have a story to advance here. We've just kind of said that this match has to happen, so here we are. Wasn't uh, Jake Roberts da like one of the main road agents in WCW? What's his name? Grizzly Smith? Yeah, he was for a time. I'm not sure about how the, the timeline matches up with now, but it really was like, it felt like old school kind of like fairground wrestling where they could just do the same match over and over again because mm-hmm. it was always a different crowd. Um, 
Except there was never a different crowd in WCW. No, no. <laughs> the the shenanigans uh, on this occasion were were a kick to the balls. By the way, um, Scott moans that uh, Neil pa- Nick Neil Patrick <laughs> Neil Nick, Patrick Harris. Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris was there. Um, <laughs> Nick Patrick uh, star of Eastbound and Down won't call the tap out from the Steiner recliner, even though he didn't tap, and, and he was in the ropes. Yeah, no, no, Lee, he wasn't in the ropes. Half of his body was outside the ring. That's how in the ropes he was. He's Scott Steiner. He doesn't understand how things work. He still can't do the too sweet hand signal. Yeah, the ropes were legitimately up to about his belt line. That's how, like, it was absurd. Absolutely absurd. Oh, we, um, skipped, we skipped over the best part of this match. Go, hit me. It's when Lex is making his entrance. There's a fan sign in the background. Oh, I missed this. Oh, you're going to like this one. Go on. The sign reads... Total package in lovely sparkly writing. Right. Sexy Lexi is the <laughs> stuff. <laughs> oh, Buff will be really annoyed about that. Buff Buff has the patent on stuff. This is just foreshadowing towards the total the um what were they called? Wasn't total oh. uh oh, what was their fucking tag team name? Google that there while I'm, t- while I'm talking about oh, this God next damn. part. Um <laughs> Scott Norton, uh, so, uh, yeah, after this uh, recliner attempt, uh, Rick Steiner shows up on the scene. Huge reception for Rick Steiner here. Uh, as he goes to the ring, Scott Norton just materializes from thin fucking air to stop him. Uh, meanwhile, Luger jumps Scott uh, at the ropes while the distraction is going on and wins. Uh, the two NWO guys attempt to jump Lex, but Rick comes in and cleans house and the lads stand tall. Sorry, I'm not listening because I'm trying to find this fucking tag team name. <laughs> <laughs> well, you come back to me with that as soon as I'll, I'll, I'll take the office here on this. As we head into what I think was probably our most anticipated match on the show, and that was mm-hmm. the United States title three-way, pitting our champion, Diamond Dallas Page, our MVP of the run of Thunder so far, versus Chris Benoit versus Raven. Before we get into the good stuff, it was totally yes. buff. Totally buff. That was it. As soon as you said it. Totally buff. Um, uh, a, c- a cool thing that started this match, I guess. Uh, triple lockups. Yeah, I am. Um, see, th- this is the the uh, moment in time when triple threats and fatal fourways were relatively new to kind of like mainstream wrestling, because obviously ECW doesn't count. <laughs> um, but yeah, you get a lot of these kind of. These would have been innovative spots, but obviously with 2019 eyes, it's very much like... How how do you feel about triple threat matches? Because they're a very polarizing type of match. I could live live without them. We've invoked him already once on this show. I'm sure his ears are burning, but Jamesy, not a big fan of triple threats, if I recall correctly. Yeah, no, I could live without them because you, you can't focus on three people in one match. Yeah, it, it tends to ha- fall into the usual trope of one guy has to be doing a rest spot on the outside of the mm-hmm. ring while two guys have a singles match. Now, I've seen matches where they essentially do that formula and it's good, and I've seen matches that have attempted to try and subvert that formula. But again, like you were implying there, I, I could live without them in favor of, like, if you're going to do a multi-man match, like, go up to a four-way so everybody has someone to wrestle. Yeah, I'd rather, if you're going to have a multi-man match that has an even number of people so people can at least pair off and make things interesting I'm trying to think offhand can you think of a couple of great triple threat matches it's, it's quite hard to do 
Well, I, there's the redacted match that nobody's yeah. allowed to talk about. The Mania 24, uh, or the Mania 20. Mm-hmm. Um, where the three shadow way, wins three, the title. Three-way match where the world title got lost until Randy Orton found it at SummerSlam. Um, what other triple threats are good? Uh, oh, SummerSlam uh, 2000, Angle, Rock, and Triple H were... Angle mm-hmm. does proper con- fucking <laughs> concussed himself on the table collapsed. Yeah, um, Benoit Jericho Austin at King of the Ring 2001. Oh, great show! Great show, that's a really good match. Uh, um, I would also say for a more contemporary one, I would go uh, Brock Cena Rollins from the Royal Rumble a couple yes, of years ago. That is a really good match. Uh, features one of my favorite bits of camera work, and there's not many of them in the modern WWE era where they hold on Seth. And you see Brock rise from the dead, having been mm-hmm. gone for about like five or ten minutes in the match, right? Like the like the shark from Jaws coming out of the water. <laughs> it's like, oh shit! There's a really good um, Undertaker Rock Kurt Angle one. I think it's Vengeance 2003 or 2005, 2003, I think. And it's for the WWE. Oh, title. was that during the era where? It wasn't quite Undertaker has leaned out and is starting to have bangers now a couple of times a year. It was before that, but it was when people were like, wow, when he's in there with Kurt, like, yeah, he they, kind of, it was around they have that a time, special yeah. kind of chemistry. And I think it was like, it was pure finisher kickouts, but it was really fucking good. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, I'm trying to think, is there any more? I mean, th- obviously tag team triple threat matches don't count because yeah. it's obviously six people. Mm. So that eliminates all Hardys, Dudleys, ENC matches. Uh, there's nothing else off the top of my head. So what did we have there? What, five, six? Yeah, and like that's in the history of professional wrestling. So it just goes to show you that like it's not... Oh, um, oh, fucking Joe AJ Daniels. Oh, Joe, obviously the best one of all time. Yeah. <laughs> they're but, you know, TNA, so the, nobody the tri- remembers. <laughs> triple Threat, The Ultimate X, yeah. They're like great stuff. Was that Des- Destination X 2005? Was that the Ultimate X? No. One? Uh, oh, the Ultimate X one could yeah. have been, but Sacrifice was the, the, the just the three the original one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, this triple threat starts up as I said with triple lockups, kinky. Um, <laughs> the tr- typical kind of start of the match where instead, like one of the ways you can go with a three way from the start of the match is rather than just knock one guy out straight away, you just do a bit of three way brawling for a while. But this three way brawling went on for a long time. Yeah, oh, there was one other thing. Um, early in the match, DDP, I think, goes for a pin, and Mickey J calls for a rope break. Yeah. And... It really tell- annoyed me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the other thing about triple threats that make it a bit like the logic of triple threats is a bit weird. And especially this one where it's false count anywhere. And it not forgetting throws- it's supposed to be uncensored, so, you know, the rules yeah. are supposed to go out the window anyway. Well, this is the thing, is that, like, triple threat matches, by their very nature, are no disqualification. Because mm-hmm. in a three-way match, you can't disqualify one man. Um, so it kind of takes a little bit out of it. So if you can't disqualify him, why is there rope breaks? You know, it's one of those kind of, like, if you're thinking too hard about it, things, the logic falls apart. Um, so the commentary are really... It's funny, they're laying it on really, really thick that it's one fall to a finish and falls count anywhere, which made me start to think, like, is this going to turn into, like, there's a pinfall in some mad location in the building that's going to turn into, like, one of those raven WWF hardcore matches where he's off in a fucking golf cart or some shit. I was going to say, like, the Al Snow hardcore holly pinfall in the river. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Real, like, shades of DDT kind of stuff. <laughs> um... 
So, uh, there's a couple of near deaths at the start of this match from people doing planches and either like falling short or there's one point where uh, DDP goes to do one and the thing about DDP is that DDP is a very very large human being Mm -hmm. and full on I think is it Raven he basically kicks in the head on the way down yeah his foot just basically fucking almost murders Raven basically Um, Uh, but Raven does get him back because he does his own kind of somersault planche of a type of move and just fucking murders both Benoit and DDP with landing I think Planche is a bit generous for what they're doing at this point of the match I think like particularly in Raven and Paige's case they just hit like a flying thing um, hurling their bodies over the rope basically yeah yeah. and you know it kind of works for Raven in that character that he's kind of just like I'm gonna just like throw my body at you you know that he's like rough around the edges kind of thing he enjoys the pain yeah yeah so I guess it works for him whereas it just really looked like he uh, paid DD, like DD, DDP wanted to be a cruiserweight for a night. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're brawling up near the stage, and Raven kind of just wanders off for a bit, finds a trash can, uh, and like blink and you'll miss it because he's walking towards them with a trash can. And then all of a sudden, he's in the trash can, and <laughs> then all of a sudden, the other two lads have found a pair of wooden, wooden crutches and batter oh boy, them with them. oh boy, these wooden crutches. Yeah. Um, did you notice? Okay, they went DD- to the apothecary and got. I got the fucking <laughs> Jesus. So DDP gets the crutches, yeah, and hands one to Benoit. Uh huh. Now they both hit Raven. Well, they hit the trash can that Raven's trapped in. Did you notice the difference between the shots with the crutches between DDP no. and Benoit? Tell me about them. Oh boy, because I was kind of just I was still at this moment stunned. I had the the double the one two punch of how the fuck did he end up in the trash can? And where did the fucking crutches come from? <laughs> well, DDP hits the trash can as you would expect a wrestler to hit a trash can. Yeah. Benoit hits the trash can like it's Daniel Pewter getting chopped. <laughs> he fucking reference. rears back and he goes for it like Raven he, owes him fucking money. Yeah, yeah. My God. The, the, the contrast in the shots with the crutches is... Wow. <laughs> He's laying it in, brother. Oh, yeah. Um, like, so, Raven was covered. I bet you he knew which one was which. <laughs> Raven and Benoit throw Paige through the really cheap-looking set that we kind of slagged off earlier on, at which point I became stone convinced that a young Shane McMahon watched his DDP tapes and said, someday, someday <laughs> I'm going to do a really, really stupid and dangerous version of what they just did. Do you know what I just realized the set is like? What? Have you gone to any weddings recently? Now, obviously, I know you were just on a... Oh, a yeah, where they have, like, the hashtag. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. The light box. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what like, that set was. Fillin, hashtag fillin, Sue, say I yeah. do. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, or hashtag precious moments and shit like that, where mm-hmm. everyone's getting the photo off going in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, I, I hate that shit. Tell you what, Lee, when you come to my wedding, if I do that, you are more than allowed to go up and just pour a pint right over me. I know you probably wouldn't waste a pint, but you, the option is there for Man, you. It could be a pint of blood or something. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some shite. <laughs> uh, it, it did pop for this. This is kind of like before the, the trope uh, becomes overly worn during the, the kind of like the comedy 24-7 period of the hardcore title in WF. Benoit literally gets the kitchen sink uh, and hits Raven with it. I, I would have totally missed that if not for the commentators constantly talking about it for the next five yeah, minutes. Yeah, because the, like, he hits him and then the kitchen sink is just gone and it never reappears again. 
Um, Benoit just puts an absolute whooping on Raven up here. Uh, <laughs> then Raven, Raven in his kind of like again chaotic Raven attempt to try and fight back, basically grabs a two table and suplexes the table onto Benoit. That looked fucking brilliant. <laughs> and, and it was at this moment during the spot that I realized for the first time that the internet position is in the building. I had assumed it was backstage last month and earlier on tonight. But they're just out there beside the crowd. Yeah, they're just right beside the uh, commentary booth. Yeah, kind of up where... Like if you the, imagine the kind of like the, the the Eric Bischoff GM era of mm-hmm. Raw, where the announce table was there, that's kind of where the internet position was. Whereas the actual announcers would have been over the other side of the stage then, uh, typically. And there's absolutely no need for them to be out in front of the crowd. <laughs> no, no, there's not because they don't. They're not interacting with the crowd. They're not on live mics or anything like that. And I imagine uh, for this time internet is slow enough without you being in like in the middle Mm -hmm. of a room full of people trying to like shout over them doing your web chat or whatever the (laughs) fuck they were doing um raven gets my my favorite brain moment of the whole night raven kind of wanders off to the background and he comes back with like a velvet rope that you'd put like in front of a nightclub to let people in or out and stuff like that and as soon as he emerges with the rope brain just screams ah snake Um, in a spot that I probably wouldn't have thought about twice in 1998 mm-hmm. and thought a little bit too much of in 2019 I have a feeling this is the one you text me about <laughs> I was just, just about to say you watched this before I did and you thankfully warned me um, Benoit gets the velvet rope and basically strangles Raven and drags him to the ring and it's just like yeah oh, right. we're, gonna, we're just going to move on from that now do you, do you ever see that, um, I think it's, is it The Simpsons, where Lisa asks Homer about his night previous, what he had been up to? Oh, yeah. And it's see, like, he, he, he's sitting in Moe's, yeah. has, a, has a couple of beers, then it's just like, scene missing, and he's yeah. t- in bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're just, we're just not going to talk about that. It's like, it, it oh, never happens. Just, yeah, just, oh, God, it was bad. Um, I love how, so they get back to the ring, and they're brawling, and a chair appears. And Lee, I love how. So we've been doing this show now, um, 11 weeks of TV, basically. A lot um, longer than people thought we'd last. Yeah, a lot longer <laughs> than I certainly did. That's for sure. <laughs> Eating my words on that now. Um, but on week one, or around week one, the drop toe hold on the steel chair was considered to be death. You know? Yeah, sure, it blinded Scotty Riggs. Yeah, they were talking about how it blinded Scotty Riggs. It was devastating. Huge crowd reactions and commentary reactions when Raven would even attempt to do the drop-toe hold on the chair. Two months later now, Benoit does it on Raven just in the middle of this match. The crowd don't react. The announcers barely react. Transitional move. Yeah, it's just it's just a spot. Mm-hmm. And not even like a particularly devastating one that Benoit is down for for any real length of time. Um, some good spots so they, they're showing how DDP some would say melodramatically but I would say it's probably the perfect level of wrestling drama of trying to like inch and crawl his way back to the ring but I thought the finish was going to happen just it was going to be one of those classic like he comes in just a bit too late at, at 3.1 yeah. you know um, and, and do you know what that would have fit DDP perfectly yeah yeah absolutely uh, DDP uh, sorry uh, Benoit puts a sleeper on Raven uh, DDP gets back in at this point now and DDP puts Benoit on a sleeper and a really cool way to get out of this Raven just drops to his arse jawbreaker escape and kind of all Both three of them get, get laid out from it yeah. 
Um, they barely make the 10 count selling that like you know they have when you think about it because this match kind of flew by at a clip and I'm kind of thinking about how they're selling it like death and the ref is doing the 10 count I'm like actually they have properly battered each other in this Mm -hmm. and when they get up at like 9.5 the crowd absolutely eat it up yeah like the the crowd absolutely bought the the triple knockout kind of finish which is like that's a tough thing like it's mm-hmm. such a kind of well-worn trope that it's tough for people to buy into it but like, they got them here like even i think the first movement is raving at like eight and a, eight and a bit <laughs> like he's so, the first one to store uh in, in a spot that felt very proto pwg a triple german suplex uh and they barely Sh- shout out to team. uh What's the PWG podcast? <laughs> Journey through Gorilla Island. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I went blank. <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been so brainwashed by bad wrestling that you can't remember the podcast where they talk about good wrestling. Yeah, yeah our mates over at I, Journey through I'm Gorilla sorry. Island. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Lee, Lee's a couple of beers and three hours of a pay per view worse off for today. So. Uh, do check out by the way we do plug it on our Twitter check out Journey Through Gorilla mm-hmm. Island they tend to it, it's kind of funny like it's not through any sort of uh, coincidence or anything like that but the weeks we don't record and post a show tend to be around the time that they post one as well so you can kind of almost like one two our podcasts with each other and it works out as like one is the antidote to the other sort of thing um, so yeah check them out you, you'll see us post a link from time to time to them Um so we had yeah the triple german suplex uh they barely beat the count again uh raven and benoit appear to be on the same stage at uh, the same page here kind of like forming a, an unspoken alliance uh <laughs> lodi hands it, raven in the sign um and cracks ddp with it and it turns out that the sign is actually a stop sign in between two pieces of paper which i'm not gonna lie i laughed <laughs> i I, di- I honestly didn't see it coming yeah, no, I, I actually... See, here's the thing. I had a WCW VHS, which was the best of Uncensored and best of Fall Brawl combined. Why did they, why did they make that tape? Who knows? It was fucking WCW. Yeah. <laughs> two, two random pay-per-views. That was very much... We have a stack of VH te- VHS tapes lying around the warehouse. What can we put on them? Hang on. Do you know what was also in this series of WCW VHSs? Oh, go on. The best of Sid. The bet that's a fucking contradiction in and of itself, isn't it? <laughs> and I think there was oh, what was the other one? I'm, I'm trying to remember back on the VHS box. There was it was two other random pay per views. Oh, what was it? I want to say it was Super Brawl and oh, what was the other one? I can't remember. But yeah, I I somehow came into possession. Actually, I remember how it was true where my man was working at the time i got this for like five pound and um this match was actually on was one of the best of uncensored and i remember the stop sign bit very vividly because i remember being a kid and laughing my fucking ass off at that it was Um, just the moment where like he throws the sign at him and you're like it's a paper sign like his head's gonna go through it and you just hear like the dong Mm -hmm. (laughs) like there was a moment of perhaps unintentional, perhaps intentional comedy that got me. Um, the lads set DDP up on the table, 
But then uh, Benoit decides to betray his recently made ally and Raven by cracking him with the stop sign. Uh, he gets Raven on the top rope. Benoit then, or no, sorry, Paige recovers and bowls Benoit over off the top rope to the outside and hits an avalanche diamond cutter onto the table. Kind of. Uh, doesn't quite break. <laughs> Paging Matthew from Botchamania on this one. There's a classic I am the table. But the avalanche diamond cutter looked class. I went, As soon as he got in position to do it, I was like, no. Because I was thinking, like, he's so big and gangly, he's not going to get his own body over the table. And he does, and I loved it. Yeah, he gets himself over the table perfectly, like, the absolute perfect position possible. And um, yet Raven just doesn't break the table. Yeah. Um, uh, pa- Raven, in fairness, so, like, Paige wins... And Raven sells this like he has been killed stone dead. Oh, like, yeah. Even like starfished. He's, <laughs> he's kind of hanging off the table a little bit when it's done. And Paige has to, like, drag his body down to the mm-hmm. ground to pin him. And then um, the lads... Uh, Hammer pulls him out. Yeah, Van Hammer just pulls him out. And he's just kind of, like... And he's, like like I say, totally starfish. Like, starfish, literally does like, not attempt to help Hammer pull him, like, get himself like out of the ring. Like a fly on the windshield. <laughs> like, just absolutely brilliant selling from him uh benoit comes in helps page up in a kind of grudging show of respect it's like mm-hmm. i don't really like you because you keep winning matches that i'm in but i do respect the hell out of you sort of thing so hopefully that continues because it's been a shining light uh on the program that's for sure uh speaking of the exact antithesis of that uh we have big sexy the giant killer versus the giant uh, Nash immediately bails when Giant gets into the ring. Um, as he, this is my favorite, I love. We we talk about how much I love crowd signs. We talk about how much I love awkward fan interactions. We talk about uh, you know. I think to this point, my favorite fan moment has been the man overly enthusiastically brandishing a Snickers on the camera <laughs> uh, at Days of Snickers. But I think we have a contender here. Because so Nash bails as I said, and he's on the outside mocking Giant uh, from ringside for his mannerisms and for his sore neck. At which point, a fan—did you hear this? No. A fan yells, and I quote: "Shut up, you fat piece of crap!" <laughs> like so fucking loud. I didn't. I totally missed that. Oh my god! It is so worth going back to okay and it's not, it, this is not a long match so i'm definitely gonna go back to it uh they do a lockup in which a full-blown conversation appears to happen it's almost like giant is telling them everything he picked up for the fucking groceries earlier on that day you it forgot you forgot to time. mention giant is actually wrestling in his neck brace again yeah he's wrestling in the neck brace again he's obviously that compensation claim is coming in and he can't go <laughs> get out of the neck brace um the full conversation happens in the lockup before uh, it just goes to plodding big man giant offense. Mm-hmm. It's back and forth. It's slow motion. It's in and out of the ring. And this, Lee, I, I'm not saying this for comedic effect. I'm not saying this because I thought it would be funny to say on the podcast. I fell asleep twice during this match. <laughs> <laughs> I can't blame you. This match was... I, I, I fell asleep very briefly and woke up before the end of the match. I was like, fuck, right, I'll rewind it. Rewound it to the start of the match again. I was like, right. And then I blinked and the cage match was on. And I had to rewind again. This took an <laughs> awful lot more of my day than it should have. 
you put more effort into this match than the two lads did. I absolutely did. Um, Nash, this is a funny note for me. Uh, Nash is billed at seven foot and Giant at seven four, mm-hmm. um, and at best they're probably about. They look about the same height when they're in the ring with each other. Ah, ignore it. Uh, and <laughs> if if anything, at points in this match, it looks like Nash is a little taller. And like, I don't know if this is a case of that giant just has rubbish posture at this point, <laughs> and just like in in holes and stuff <laughs> looks shorter. But if your if your name is the giant, capital D, capital T, capital G. You really should be standing as tall as possible and working it into your match that the other guys are never at a vertical base standing in front of you, uh, well, especially well, when they're the size of fucking Kevin Nash. Well, let's not forget Ron Reese is already in the company who is like legit seven foot five, I think it is. Yeah. So you know, just bear that in mind. About, they talked about was it, it was his weight is up to like four hundred and seventy eight pounds or something it's like that. They ridiculous, say. Yeah. Uh, which, um, to be fair, I know he would get, like, bigger. real heavy later on in his career. But I wouldn't have pegged his shoot weight at anything near that at this point. Like, he's still relatively trim. Oh, him. yeah, like, he he still looks in good condition, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, even if you remember back to when he went to the WWF. This was the period up, of his like, career, like, where he needed to grow a soul patch to hide his chins, like. <laughs> Jesus. Well, he did. Remember? <laughs> I do remember. Well, Jesus, that's harsh. No, look, I love the big show. Vape on, brother. <laughs> but, like, you know, I'm, I'm, if anything, I'm complimenting him here that he was svelte at this point. <laughs> svelte. I'm, I'm trying to fight in his corner when they've said he's nearly 500 pounds already in 1998. Give the guy a break, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Look, he just liked cigarettes. Yeah, I'm right, you did. <laughs> and just the world wasn't ready for vapes in 98. <laughs> oh, we've just, already talked too much about this fucking match. Lee, how amazing would it be if the if the fucking big show showed up at the vape convention in Oberhausen when we're there? Do you think he knows ta- about it? Should we add him? We, sh- we should definitely tweet him and say it's there. <laughs> him and anyway, Randy Orton showing up. <laughs> yeah. See if we get him on the podcast. It'd be great. Um... Giant gets the upper upper hand after kind of Nash had removed his brace throughout the match. Like when he comes into the match wearing the brace against Nash, you fully know where that's going, that he's gonna take the brace off. So he took it off, Giant got annoyed, fired up. Um This is a weird point that kind of shows how he was kind of like getting a little bit too overexcited, not thinking about what he was doing. So the giant signals that he's going to do the gorilla press, but he does a scoop slam. <laughs> Then he calls for the choke slam, but goes for a jackknife. So, yeah. Um, at the point where he tries to do the jackknife, the NWO come in, the B team quite specifically, um, and they all have bats for some reason and begin to attack him. And in probably the most surprising moment in all three hours of this program, Vincent took a choke slam. Vince took a hell of a choke slam. Yeah, like. I did not expect in the entire run of this program to ever see him come off his fucking feet. Well, I mean, as we discovered last week on Twitter, Vince was the head of security. 
Yeah. Oof, the NWO. The, yeah, that, yeah, by the way, we should have mentioned that at the top of the programme. Follow up on last week was it, who was it, uh, filled us in on that? Oh, uh, I have to check the phone. I can't remember. Uh, uh, we were filled in via Twitter that apparently Vincent, we were slagging off like, what does Vincent even do in the NWO? And we were alerted that officially, and it was referenced on WCW programming, he was the head of security. Um, and, and, like, for the NWO. <laughs> yeah, it was mad. Like, uh, it was um, at Pork Sweats 1. At Pork Sweats 1, yeah. Thanks for that. Like, that was an incredible bit of continuity that we had obviously missed. The head, the, the chief of security. Uh, and it was made. Oh, so it's continuity from WCW Saturday Night. Just reading back on that. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. So which of course the, we don't the, watch. The, the Saturday Night Cinematic Universe is where all the real good continuity goes down. It's got to be said. That's what happens when you have Jimmy Hart in charge. Indeed. Um, so yeah, they all come out. Um, Nash breaks a bat over Giant's shoulder, uh, but this just makes Giant mad. So mad that they're all scared and run away. Uh, then they show a slow motion replay of the bat break over his shoulder and it looked real bad on replay mm-hmm. they it really did. shouldn't it looked kind of good in in motion like, but then it, they showed it in replay and it really exposed like oh that that bat was just made of fucking dust yeah like if they had it just left at the bits flying everywhere and yeah things like that would look good but yeah they had to slow it down and make it look really fucking bad um speaking of really fucking bad how about conan taking the choke slam not great he went not what great Half a foot off the ground? He kind of just fell backwards almost. <laughs> fucking shit, man. He is so <laughs> fucking shit. Easier disco. And it's 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 quite funny that in a couple of years they'll end up at the stable together. Is it though? <clears throat> no, it's not funny at all, Lee, because we're we're gonna have to fucking cover it. Also it's that was disco with a Q, so that was a totally different disco. It's it's our own personal fucking circle of hell that we're going to have to talk about all that. Well, considering anyway. the way people tuned out of the fucking show, I'm guessing a lot of people didn't like it. Yeah, at least as I said on, on last week's show, by then Conan is barely wrestling, if at all. Although you could argue, based on tonight's evidence, he was barely wrestling in 1998. <laughs> uh, speaking of not great stuff, uh, Kurt Hennig with Rick Rude versus Bret Hart. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the good stuff first. Um, a great line from Tony that made me laugh where he said we haven't necessarily seen wrestling matches tonight because <laughs> that was a heavy burial um, shots fired at Eric Bischoff <laughs> yeah it took two hours of this program before I noticed that there was a gigantic confederate flag hanging over one of the balconies in this arena in Mobile, Alabama that, so this, fair, this was the time I noticed it as well <laughs> yeah fair play that the direction managed to avoid it for that long so good stuff um, what I liked about this match early on was the story that was being told Kurt is the guy who lost a match in 1991 that essentially made Brett mm-hmm. in the in the WWF he wants to prove that in 1998 he can beat Brett that 91 was an aberration and that he's better than Brett Hart and also like you have the layer that he's the hired gun of the NWO because he wouldn't join so now he has to be taken out mm-hmm. Brett is in his head big time because of this and whenever they have wrestling exchanges early in this match that Brett gets the better of, it really throws Kurt off and he has to come out of the ring and regroup and like Rick Rude has to talk to him a couple of times, get him out of his head and try to get him focused on the task at hand. Uh, at one point, this and this is like the start of, there's a couple of spots on this show where you're just like, man, the WCW referees are being portrayed as fucking idiots here. Brett locks in a sharpshooter early on in this match 
Rude full on gets into the ring. Right? Uh, he decks Brett and bails out of the ring while standing over Mickey J the whole time and he doesn't notice any of it. Yeah. The, when I saw that, I just knew this match was going to be fucking bad. Like, um, And it, the moment at which it ground to an absolute halt was when uh, after the kind of they'd done this bit of storytelling that like he couldn't out-wrestle Brett so Rude was getting more and more involved mm-hmm. until... Henning got the upper hand and then it was just bleh. Yeah, Henning kind of tries to work over the left knee and it just it's so fucking boring. Like it's not compelling at all. And it's not. like Rude and Henning both great workers, both have had great matches. This one was just it, maybe it was the placement on the cards, I don't know, but maybe they were just too old. I don't know. Like yeah. it, it just did not grab me at all. And like, like you say, it had that good story. Like they didn't ignore the past. They didn't ignore the history. Yeah, but it just no, it just, just was a did nothing for me at all. Uh, there's a point at which he's trying to do some kind of like uh, sneaky pins. He rolls them up. Uh, the commentator shout, he has the tights, but actually all he had was Brett's arse in his hands. <laughs> there was no grabbing of the tights. Uh, just his arse. That's normally uh, reserved for the bear. Yeah. Brett rolls through into a sharpshooter and Kurt taps literally the second that uh, Rude hits Brett. Uh, hits a Rude awakening. I was surprised that Rude actually got physical here. He actually uh, took a flat back. Yeah. yeah um, Rude awakening as Kurt Hennig is getting the chair. He screams a censor that has been since censored, fuck him up. Um, and he does fuck him up because in an attempt to do the typical like I'm going to pretend to strike you in the head with a chair but hit the far side of your head the chair slips out of Kurt's hands and he essentially throws the chair at Brett's head (laughs) and we're very lucky that it didn't just catch him square on the bounce at that point Um, yeah just not great stuff at all really here no just just so disappointing yeah Yeah. Uh, now we start to move to the, the kind of main thrust of the evening the two big promoted matches we have Scott Hall with Dusty Rhodes by his side versus Sting how did how did you feel about the title match being the semi-main I think it's in 2019 I'm so used to it now that I can't be mad at it anymore but when I think about it in 1998 I'm like Sting was like the guy you built to come for this title for like a year and a half and he won the title. He triumphed over adversity, and he's still playing second fiddle to the NWO. Is Sting Seth Rollins? There's a little bit of the Seth Rollins about him. It's mm. um, yeah, it's tough. But people still at this stage like his star hasn't been dinted at all. Like they love him when he comes out here. Um, a, a thing I don't have a huge amount to say about this match because honestly, I wasn't wild about it. I don't know about you. I enjoyed it for what it was. It, yeah, it was fine. But I think it's, it's placement being a bit disappointing and kind of coming off that absolute snoozer of a match and knowing we still had to go through two owl lads battering each other in a cage after this. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like, oh, you know, I, I couldn't get too into it. Um, the other thing I wasn't wild about in this... Um, there's a, definitely a time and a place for it. And I, I, when Scott Hall is selling, sometimes for my tastes, 
he is a little bit too cartoony with it. Yeah, he's a bit too goofy. His punch-drunk selling mm-hmm. is a little bit too slapstick. Sometimes that works. When he takes a stunner from Stone Cold during his brief Fed, ru- fed run uh, after WCW shuts down, that is some great Scott Hall cartoon selling that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. In this title match that he's fought for, kind of, go- he's been going around since we started this show talking about how he won World War Three. He should get a title shot, and like for that to lead to this kind of cartoon selling that you're kind of chuckling at I wasn't mad about to be honest especially when the thing about it is you and I both know because we've seen Scott and in his previous incarnation as Razor that like when he's really up for it and he's really keyed in he doesn't do any of this cartoony stuff he's just a really good wrestler yeah I mean like like you said he does the the kind of punch drunk kind of selling right from the get go of the match as well which just it doesn't make sense like and it's not even that he's acting yeah, like it's he's... Not like, f- he's it's not, not like fucking Sting is renowned as the best pure striker in WCW. <laughs> yeah, it's like... And it's not even like he's being actively afraid of Sting because he's going right at him. Yeah. So it's not even that. It's just, it does feel a bit out of place in this kind of big-time match. And maybe that's why he was never a world champion. Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, um, one, one thing I did love is and I fucking I love this David Penders um announcing of Sting it's yeah this is and he holds he is for like a fucking minute and then just Sting <laughs> I love Dave Penzer <laughs> Penzer's better than Buffer big up Penzer boy oh I have a bit to say about Buffer we'll get to him <laughs> um we have another moment here of how did the ref miss this uh, as we get towards the end of the match. This is a big as, moment. <laughs> as Dusty <laughs> gets up on the ropes and creeps into the ring like fucking Elmer Foot. <laughs> I thought I thought is, a thing. <laughs> it is rabbit season, baby. <laughs> gets in and then he tiptoes over Sting no 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 he did not tiptoe no no he He strutted (laughs) he did a funky one step over Sting and then dropped his bionic elbow now look I'm not going to cast aspersions on Dusty Rhodes an absolute legend of the biz I wish he was still here love Dusty so much Interesting mind, interesting guy, one of the all-time great promos. All I'll say is, considering your slander of the Giant in the last match, yeah. just, you know. But he was, notoriously, he was a man of carriage. He was carrying a bit extra <laughs> around the middle, right? And I'm not saying this to slag him off. I'm saying this to slag off the referee, because he drops his elbow full force onto Sting, and the referee has no idea it happened. Yeah. The referees look like fucking idiots. <laughs> Yeah, you have a noise, and especially because like those WCW rings were loud. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a noise that sounds like a, a depth charge has gone off in the sea. A four hundred pound man has fallen underground, <laughs> less than two foot away from you. You're gonna yeah. notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So how how do you miss that? Uh, then Sting goes for the death lock. He kicks out when when Hall covers him. People go crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Sting goes for the death lock. Dusty distracts again. There's a bit of shenanigans here. A ref bump. Scott uses the brass knucks. Kick out. The crowd flip the fuck out when he mm-hmm. kicks out from that brass knuck shot. 
Um, Scott goes for the outsider edge and a reversal into the death drop and Sting wins. I love that Sting got the pin with the death drop. Yeah, yeah. Love it when a guy kind of puts over the, the other finisher, especially the, now that you've got another guy who does a very similar submission. Yeah, he need, needed to establish that. Like, Yeah, absolutely. And I've always been a fan of the death drop, uh, i got to say. Um, Were you a fan of Sting crotch-chopping Dusty at the end? Yeah, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> I like Dusty was incensed. This was absolutely incensed. This was staying pre being born again. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of wild looking back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, before the main event, we got a teaser for Spring Stampede next month. We, we sure did. In- <laughs> and we got an interesting fact here, Lee. Did you know Goldberg and a bull are the same breed? That's what this ad told me. I- Genetically identical. For sure. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Did, like, what gets so me even is ahead they, of the curve. Goldberg is already stealing Johnny the Bull's gimmick. Like they have this kind of Western themed pay per view. Like, where do you think of when you think of the World West? Where do I think of? Yeah, I think of giant mechanical spiders <laughs> from the hit Hollywood movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Wild Wild West Starring Will Smith and Kevin Klein. Uh, Why do you ask? Because I mean Why, I, Is there something else That you could possibly think of? <laughs> uh, I, you know I can't top that That's, Never mind <laughs> <laughs> The Wild Wild Fucking West Yep Come on Jim West, Desperado. <laughs> what a guy. Jim West, that's the uh, OT, um, what is fucking, what's that company? NLW? Yeah, yeah, Cowboy Jim West. Cowboy at this Jim point, I, at this point, I'm telling you, 200%, I'm putting in a small snippet of Will Smith's Wild Wild West. <laughs> uh, why a snippet? Just put in the whole song and sure that will... <laughs> That will replace the, Man, pe- the main I, event I, talk. I, I don't. I don't know much about Will Smith, but I will bet he is litigious. So, <laughs> uh, so I'm not risking that one. I like having this podcast. Well, we did talk uh, about getting sued on this episode. So, yeah, indeed. Um, main event time and Michael Buffer. Out. Michael Buffer is shit. Yeah, can we talk about that? Just out and saying this now. How has this man made such a filthy amount of lucre in his life? Of being this routinely bad at announcing, and how is he of the two Buffer brothers considered the the more kind of uh, legendary announcer? He has because the catchphrase. Look, there is a lot of things you can level at Bruce Buffer. Fine, but lacking passion, not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Like every main event, every main event of a UFC card, he announces. It feels like his heart may literally explode. He's so excited. Oh, he he physically throws his body into his announcing. Yeah, and that wasn't something because, like, if you watch a UFC pay per view, I didn't think I'd be talking about this. But if you watch a UFC pay per view, or I don't know now, I haven't. I I, I don't watch a lot of UFC anymore. Mm-hmm. My peak of watching UFC was like, we'll say like oh seven to twenty twelve or thirteen maybe. But anyway, you watch a lot of. Uh, pay-per-views and you don't really see how animated he gets or you didn't back in the day Mm -hmm. when I went to my first fight night like I I got to see Buffer in all his glory and my god like he 
if he was on this show, he would be in the top three hardest workers on this show. <laughs> yeah. Like, he does be physically sweating, or visibly sweating. Yeah. yeah while he's shaking. doing it, like. Yeah. Um, Fair play to him. And but like, yeah, it's Michael. Yeah, Michael has the catchphrase, and that's Apple, where he gets the money. Yeah, he has he has the catchphrase. He comes out here looking like he hasn't fucking read the cards until he's out there on a live mic. And, like, he's surprised when the words come up on them. It was really, like, of all this, there are so many we could be here till mm-hmm. doomsday with a laundry list of the things that World Championship Wrestling wasted money on during this era. But one of the most extraneous uses of cash they had was on Michael Buffer because he gave nothing to the product. Yeah, Penta would have been better off doing it. Every time so far we've heard him, he has been cringy and embarrassing. And I guess because you're at the, like... Boxing had a box. Boxing had a moment in the nineties with with Holyfield and with Tyson and um, a bunch of others, and it would be around this time that kind of in Britain boxing is getting big again because mm-hmm. you had uh, like Prince Nazim and Lennox Lewis and stuff like that. So I, I get that boxing was having a moment, and he's the boxing guy, and it's a kind of trying to get the rub of being a big mainstream sport. But to me, the juice is not worth the squeeze on this one. Um. So, Hogan versus Savage in the cage. Uh, Hogan out, then Savage comes out. And I want to say, Liz is wearing a NWO ringer tee, mm-hmm. where you have like the, the, the ring around the collar and the sleeves is a different color than the actual t-shirt. I would buy that version of the NWO shirt a hundred times over before I buy the plain black one. It looked cool as shit. Yeah, I. Do you know what? I have the same thing down. The T-shirt that Liz has on looks fucking great. Like it's just the, it's the same logo. Mm-hmm. It's the same T-shirt. It's just got it's just a white ringer tee of that same design, mm-hmm. and it looks so much better to me. Like it's a T-shirt that I would probably come closer to wearing now. Um, I'm sure we can get it on some kind of website. <laughs> During his uh, introduction here. Uh, when Buffer is giving out Savage's monikers, he refers to him as the Slim Jim spokesperson, which, if that isn't a cool wrestling moniker, I don't know what is. <laughs> now, here is, I have written down, to just batter Buffer one more time here, I've written down exactly what he says uh, for one part of this introduction for Savage. That is just awful. Go for it. And I'm going to insert the dramatic pauses where he put them in. And I don't think there were as much dramatic pauses as him reading the words for the first time in his life. (laughs) His goal in this match is to leave the cage with victory. And the title, Kingpin, New World Order. Fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You absolute waste of space there, there was one even before he introduced Hogan it was like two of the greatest names enter yeah only one will exit victoriously <laughs> it's so bad it's so oh it's awful um stop me if you've heard this one before Hogan jumps savage at the start of the match and works him over fucking shocked yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
after a while of kind of just boringly battering Savage, he goes for one elbow drop, two many, and gets Savage back into the match. Can I just um, say, in the first portion of this match, and yes, there was a first portion. There was multiple portions. No <sighs> one was asking for second portions. There was probably, I want to say, one and a half bumps. Yeah. But, I will say, in this match, also, probably the craziest spot on the show... Mm-hmm. Uh, in as much as young uh, Randall Savage attempts his double axe handle from the top of the cage. Now, the cage isn't, like, obscene Oh, yeah, high, that, that, that's the other thing. The cage looks high. like a fucking toy. Yeah, the cage is only maybe about two foot taller than them when they're standing in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, but still in all, he attempts the, um, the axe, axe handle, handle off the top. And that in and of itself, whatever... But he tries to stick the landing and lands standing up. Yeah, that can't have been good on his knees and ankles. And let me tell you, one of the things I'm looking forward to the least in this whole project we're doing is a couple of years later, Sid, Sid Vicious I'm not watching that. Would, a- would attempt to stick a landing on a, a big boot off the top rope. Mm-hmm. And let's just say, if you've never seen it before, it goes poorly. No, I'm not watching that I'm I'm putting that one down now I am not watching that match as soon as he goes up to the top rope in that match I'm skipping chapters Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway um, yeah he attempts this and like no reason at all didn't have to do it didn't really add on to the match still did it and like I was just I I was just like I shrieked when he came off yeah and Um, this is also speaking as somebody who personally I have broken my legs a couple of times I know the pain Oh. can I just say I was watching this match this evening um, and Connor was kind of coming in and out of the room Yeah. so he came in when the the entrances were on because he likes the NWO music because of course why wouldn't he <laughs> and uh, yeah. he comes back in about five minutes later and Hogan and Savage are about bleeding and he just goes what? why are they bleeding already Dude, I really, like, could barely figure out how they even started bleeding. Oh, uh, it was very noticeable when Randy started bleeding. Well, yeah, yeah. Because no. <laughs> he couldn't have made it any more fucking obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I suppose what I meant was, in the suspension of disbelief sort of way, I, I was kind of like, how did that start? Yeah. Um. But, yeah. But, I just yeah. thought that encapsulated this match. It was just like, it's six you're all gone. But, but Why? <laughs> yeah, I I wasn't a fan of this match at all. It um, fucking dragged. But the one thing you'd be looking forward to in this match, you're thinking, right, Randy Savage in a cage, he's going to do the elbow off the cage. You're like, you're, it's going to be fine. Once he does the elbow off the cage, it's going to be amazing. Don't care what else happens in this match. And it was real bad for a real long time. And then Savage finally gets to go up to the top of the cage and he's going to hit the elbow when a large-ish man appears. Can we just say it's fucking Ed Leslie? No, no, we're not allowed. It's the booty man. <laughs> uh, he appears, they corner Savage, and he comes down real slowly and awkwardly. Wh- and why it, did he come down off the top of the cage? They couldn't hurt him when he was on the top of the cage. Could have just climbed to the outside. Yeah. Anyway, um, at this point, Sting comes in on his little uh, on his little ropes. Uh, he drops in. They, he nearly like misses the cage. Absolute, he, he nearly misses the cage, but also nearly gets sacked on the cage. 
which would have been a poor time and they stop right at the last second uh, he gets into the ring and what's brilliant is like he's down on the ground for a full like two seconds before the two boys see him and then like nearly jump out of their skins uh, reacting to Hogan him. does the, was the best comedic selling yeah yeah that was my favourite part of the match oh, <laughs> which which will tell you how bad it was um, and then what happens after that I can't remember Oh, this is, uh, this is the end of the match now anyway oh yeah so they the, the uh, there's a really long awkward stare down between them and then all of a sudden Savage just lays out Sting he clotheslines and then pile drives Sting for no reason yeah and then gets out of the ring and just in case you thought oh he's back with the NWO he specifies like I don't like you and I never will to Hogan no he um, does the for life sign in the ring yeah at Hogan then spits at him yeah. So Hogan kind of runs to the cage wall and is like, you work for me, you work for me, yeah. you're in the NWO. And Ho- and Savage just goes, I don't like you, I never will. And then yeah. it, the show just ends with Hogan screaming, but you work for me. So he's NWO, but he's a loose cannon. But he's laying out Hogan's biggest enemy for him, as well as wrestling him. And yeah that was the end of the pay-per-view it ended with a kind of hey stay tuned next month we got spring stampede cage match with no finish baby yeah what what a time to be alive eh lee looking back at this pay-per-view now it's in the books it's all over i'm a sweaty mess the beer is gone the whiskey is gone tell me what did you think of this show on the whole um on the whole it's hard to recommend that as a watch isn't it yeah, again, I think it's kind of, we, we harken back to what you say earlier on. There's a couple of matches, particularly in the first half of the show, mm-hmm. that are well worth a look out. Uh, enjoyed Eddie and Booker well enough. Yeah, it was a good match. Milenko and uh, Jericho was obviously the highlight of the show. That's that's the outstanding match, I think. Um, whereas the three-way isn't the best match we've seen these three men have. Yeah, I think what, I still what, think it was what very tempers good. me on that one is that they're capable of so much better if they were just in yeah. singles matches. The ceiling was set so high by um, a couple of the matches DDP and Benoit in particular have been having in, in the build up to this that it was kind of it felt a little bit disappointing based on the hype level we had mm. but still a very good match nonetheless but uh, Every, as you say everything else just felt like filler to get to the next show as a whole three hour program it's very hard to recommend and this is definitely the first pay-per-view where I've truly felt um, what everybody says is the big thing about WCW where it's turn the turn the pay-per-view off like two or three matches before the end because mm-hmm. once they get to the big immobile stiff matches you're not going to want to see anymore it's the undercard you should be here for because that's where the good stuff is happening and yeah it's still it, it's still true that you know on these pay-per-views the undercard are allowed to have long uninterrupted matches sometimes and that's always been the best stuff so far so mm-hmm. I can't give the show a thumbs down, but I can't recommend anything outside those two or three matches. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Uh, give me your winners and losers. Chris Jericho and Dean Malenko are the winners of this oh. pay-per-view. And it's it's, it's, it's not even close. Really close. Yeah. No, it's not. There's no, no, nobody it's else I would accept. Um, the biggest loser on this show is Sting. Oh, wow, I thought you were going to say Conan. I thought Conan was a mortal lock. He, he doesn't matter. Conan doesn't matter wow um, Sting because once again he's been made to look like a fucking geek by trusting somebody he shouldn't have yeah and made to look made to look both by his match placement and then mm-hmm. what happened to him in the main event as second fiddle to the NWO yep. always and forever 
in spite of again like they they have thrown away a year to a year and a half's build so quickly and, and, and I know for some people who didn't watch at the time it might be silly to say because like he's still the world champion is he re- like you know what I mean like even during Hogan's introduction Buffer was talking about how he's the self-proclaimed world champion yep and for all intents and purposes he might as well be yeah he, he's still treated as the biggest deal on the show and like here's the other thing we get this angle with Savage and Sting to close the pay-per-view what match did they give us on Thunder before this pay-per-view I believe it was Savage and Sting yeah so what was the fucking point yeah uh, it's it's poor. It's it's really poor, and it doesn't give me much excitement heading into the next run of Thunder. Well, um, all I can say is the undercard will always give me hope because yeah, like the, right, the, the, and we so know many that, talented people on the cards. Yeah, and I know that right up from like watching WCW to up till when it was pulled off the air here in Ireland at like the end of two thousand. Um, that like there was still some really high quality matches happening on the undercard and that is hopefully that's going to be enough to sustain our sanity going forward but I, I don't think it will <laughs> sometimes I think sometimes it, this shit at the end of shows will get the better of us what Dave was trying to say is if you want us to keep going get us some nice whiskey yeah we are absolutely going to need it for medicinal <laughs> reasons uh, anyway, that has brought to an end another bumper edition, in this case, of Days of Thunder. Please do check us out. We post episodes every two weeks on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. You're going to want to subscribe there to get a whole host of other podcasts. Or if you're just in a Thunder mood for now and you want to revisit the other podcasts later, we have our own dedicated feed that we throw the, the links out to on Twitter. Subscribe to us on there. Pretty much any podcast platform that you can th- shake a stick at, we're on uh, either on our own feed as Days of Thunder or on the, the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. So there's plenty of ways to uh, indulge yourself with a bit of thunder. I uh, want to reiterate again, we, we really appreciate all the, the Thunder buddies that have been joining us so far. The community is building and growing um and we we always always and and lee will back this up we, we want to hear from you mm-hmm. as much as possible what you think of not just of our shows we don't necessarily well we like the back padding i'm not saying stop <laughs> the back padding when you enjoy a show please do tell us rate us and all that and share tell your friends but we really do enjoy as much as anything else getting what you thought at the time whether it's a memory you have from watching this stuff or whether you've never watched it before and you're watching it fresh and you're like oh boy these guys were right Conan's really shit <laughs> you know <laughs> because uh, really he was really fucking shit <laughs> we really do we really do love hearing it and like interacting with the Thunder Buddies like it feels like a ghost thing to say but interacting with the Thunder Buddies is really kind of like the thing we look forward to more than anything when we post these shows so mm-hmm. please at WCW Thunderpod uh, on the PWO forums there's a thread for us as well Lee tends to post a show up on the WCW subreddit so shout out to those guys for being hospitable and letting Lee post the links up there that's r slash WCW um, and yeah uh, at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter uh, individually I, uh, I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713 uh, we'll be back in two weeks with uh, the first of the Build to Spring Stampede Thunder episode 11, I believe. So um, until then, we shall see you at our next stop down Thunder Road. Uh, keep well, get outside, get a breath of fresh air. We've survived it. Another pay-per-view is in the books and we'll <laughs> see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
I can see through the sky. 